So I encourage you to take out your Bible. Take out your Bible as we talk about the confusion of Abraham. And I don't know about you, but it's been a challenging and somewhat confusing week in some ways, right? With the election and all kinds of things going on in our lives. And uh, even this morning when I came here, all my PowerPoint slides were confused. So that seems to be the theme of the day for me. Um, So hopefully... Dale's going to do a great job, and I gave him the right stuff, so we'll see how it goes. Genesis chapter 16, as we talk about the confusion of Abraham, and we all find ourselves in these places of doubting and how we respond and what we do when our faith is challenged and how are we going to respond. And I see so many people, they get bitter toward God. They throw away their faith because it isn't the way that they thought it was going to be. And so we got to be careful that we don't take things into our own hands. The confusion of Abraham. I'm sorry, turn over to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, we're going to start back a couple chapters. Genesis 12, as we kind of lead up to chapter 16. And look at verse 10, if you would, in Genesis chapter 12. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land, and when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Verse 15, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, and they praised her to Pharaoh, and a woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? And now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Well, in the BBC News in 2011, they talked about a camera that they've developed that can detect with artificial intelligence when someone is lying or telling the truth. They use algorithms, they use body language, they use thermal imaging, they use tracking devices, and all these things. And uh, they can tell when a person is lying by uh, the way that they respond with a facial expression, or the way that they, the heating image in their body, when they lie, they heat up and uh, get warmer, and all these things. And they found out that after doing all these tests, that they're accurate two-thirds of the time. Think about that. How scary it would be to know that there's a camera out there that could tell when you're telling the truth or lying. Well, guess what? Even though that's scary, even scarier than that is the fact that God knows every time that we lie. And every time we think about lying, he knows about it. And one reason that we tell lies is that we don't trust people or trust God with the truth. We're called to speak the truth and speak it in love. And God rebukes us for telling half-truths 
exaggerating stories, telling white lies to avoid conflict, or out-and-out lies. And lying really is adding to or taking away from something that is true, whether it's exaggerating it, whether it's putting our spin on it, or whether it's not telling the whole truth. Those things are all in the category of lying. And today we're going to start out talking about how Abraham, not once, but twice, got confused in his faith and who he trusted. He worried more about what man was going to do to him than allowing God to protect him, and he lied about who his wife was. And so we look at these two stories and these two major lies, and we see the negative consequences to the people that were involved in that. So let's review. You have this on your outline there. We talked about the call of Abraham, how God reached out in time to the Earth of Chaldees and came down and, and took Abraham and brought his family out. And uh, when he did that, he brought him to a place of Haran and then eventually to Canaan where his family would eventually settle over time. We talked about the compassion of Abraham. We talked about how he and Lot were at odds with one another, at least the herdsmen were, and where their livestock should go and intermingling of their riches. And he gave Lot the choice to go where he wanted to go. We talked about the very important contract with Abraham last week. And what an amazing thing, one of the pictures of God's unconditional commitment to the nation of Israel, that he gave them a contract, a commitment that he was going to give them a land. They're going to be a lot of people in that land, and they were going to be blessed. And those who, um, those who bless Israel will also be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. That's the contract. And now today we look at the confusion of Abraham. The confusion of Abraham. First of all, you see there that doubting God can lead to lying. If we're not careful, if we allow the doubts to creep into our lives, we like to create an alternative reality by lying, by deceiving ourselves or deceiving others around us. Doubting God can lead to lying. Notice the fallout of Abram's lie that we just read in Genesis 12. Abram told a half-truth. Sarah was technically his sister by, Abraham, by Abram's father, but not his mother. Initially, Abram is treated very well by Pharaoh because Pharaoh, it's, it's implied here that he took her in and he, she became his wife, one of his wives. And over time, plagues came to Pharaoh and his family and the people around him. And God revealed somehow to Pharaoh that Abraham had lied to him about Sarai being his wife. So Pharaoh kicks Abram out of his country. We don't have time to read the second lie, but it's interesting that he didn't learn his lesson well from the first time. In Genesis 20, if you take the time and read it at home, verses 1 through 18... 25 years later, Abram does the same thing with King Abimelech. Abimelech takes Sarah into his fold of harems. Abimelech has a terrible dream where God reveals the lie that Abram has made. And Abimelech gives Abram a thousand pieces of silver and sends him and Sarai away. And apparently Abimelech and his wives became barren, and so Abram prayed for Abimelech and his wives, and God healed them and allowed his wives to have children. But he hurt his witness. He almost, in that situation, compromised his wife sexually. We don't know, we don't think that was the case this time. But it was all to protect his reputation, his life, and his possessions. Instead, he should have trusted God to tell the truth and let God be the shield, God be the protector, 
God be the one to deal with the fallout of the truth. And that's what we have to do as Christians to realize. We're, we're in a world now where, where our Christianity is being attacked more and more. Our privileges uh, to have religious freedom are being challenged. And I believe in the next few years, even more so. And so what are we going to do? We could lie. We could give in to the world and just compromise and just love everybody. Or do we speak and stand on the truth? Well, Abram caved to compromise and wanting to be accepted by telling lies. You and I, we have a responsibility to be truthful with everyone. That doesn't mean that we're cruel, but it does mean that our word is our word. So many people, even as Christians, we justify saying half-truths or white lies to avoid conflict or to exaggerate our success or you fill in the blank, whatever the reason or motivation for telling a lie. Ephesians 4, Paul was very clear about this. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth with our neighbor. Because we need to be authentic. We need to be transparent. Because we're connected in the body of Christ through the Spirit. In Proverbs 12, 22, God couldn't be clear. Lying lips are an abomination. To the Lord. That means he hates lying, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 12 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So, what's our application? It's, it's not always popular to live and speak the truth in love. And it's going to get harder and harder for us as we go on to speak that truth in love because our love is going to be misconstrued, it's going to be challenged, but we have to continue to speak in balance of those two things. Well, lying is evidence that we're not trusting God's truth and his sovereignty in our lives. But let's look how doubting could move us, if we're not very careful, to taking matters into our own hands. And I think this is one of the dangers when we face doubt, a crisis of faith in our life. The second main point here is that doubting can lead to self-reliance, to be independent of God, to do what we think is best, to trust in common sense at that particular issue and time in our life. We see in the first six verses of Genesis 16, Sarah and Abraham taking control of their lives away from God into their own hands. But just to remind you, we talked about last week in Genesis 15, then the word of the Lord came to Abram, this man will not be your heir. Remember, he was going to let Eliezer, one of his servants, to become the quote promised one since he and Sarah had not had a child. And God says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took Abram outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God reminded him several times in his life, just be patient, just wait. Wait for my timing. My timing is always right. My time is perfect. And you'll be most blessed when you trust me in that. But we look at Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6, is where we talk about the confusion of Abraham here. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai and his wife 
took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Abram slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so Hagar fled from her. Now what Sarai was talking about here was perfectly legal in that society at that time. The Jewish people were okay with that. If the husband or the wife was unable to have a child, then uh, they would provide someone else. Because the important thing, remember back then, was that your wealth was dependent upon how many children you have. And of course, it was important to pass your name on and your inheritance on. And so what was suggested was accepted in that culture they lived in. And so Abraham willingly sleeps with Hagar, seemingly thinking that he is somehow fulfilling God's promise. Well, we know that uh, Hagar, as we read, conceives and has a son named Ishmael. And then in verse 6, Hagar despises Sarah and mistreats Sarah, and Abraham allows Sarah to send Hagar away. Notice the love triangle. You can make a movie about this. And who needs to watch movies and shows that have drama in them? The Bible and our own lives have enough drama, right, in and of themselves with the people that we know and that we live with and so on. But here's the key thing, and it's on the screen. I encourage you to write this down. Remember, when you run ahead of God, you miss the best that he has for you. Remember that when you run ahead of God, you miss the best that he has for you. And that's the danger. We as humans, we get impatient. We think we know the path sometimes when we haven't consulted God, when we haven't poured out our requests before him, when we haven't fasted and waited for him. And that's the danger. And even though we sometimes do run ahead of God's will, he may give you another chance to have his best again, but he may not. Sometimes it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in a certain area of your life for God's best. Who you get married to is so important. Where you go to college, what you study, what kind of job or vocation that you have is so important. Your financial choices your long-term relationships. Proverbs says that we become like the people that we uh, surround ourselves with, our friends. We need to walk with the wise so we'll be wise, not a fool, it says in Proverbs. So our long-term relationship choices impact us in so many ways. We learn a lot by the school of experience and hard knocks. And we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to walk ahead of God, but hopefully they won't be consequences that will affect us the rest of our lives, that we can learn from them. Unfortunately, Abraham repeated that same issue twice. He didn't learn the first time. May we be able to learn when we make mistakes for the first time so we don't repeat history. They can be life lessons on what not to do in the future going forward. Can you just sit back and imagine? I, I took some time this week to think about what it must have been like to have been Moses and Joshua. Think about it. They crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is destroyed. They send 12 spies into the land. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, let's go. We can beat these guys. We can kill these giants. The land is ours because God said we could have it. But the other 10 spies, 
influenced the rest of the Israelites to not believe. Now here's Moses and Joshua. They have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They have to watch the unbelief and the consequences and all those deaths. Everybody died except those who were 20 years of age and younger. And all that they had to do. And even Moses gave in toward the end of his life. He became disobedient when he struck the rock and he missed out on going into the promised land. And yet Joshua kept his faith through that whole time of watching the consequences of unbelief, of doubt, of people that did not trust God. So if they can do it for 40 years, what about us? What about us? Application here is faith in God alone brings us to a place of humble dependence. Humble dependence. When God it feels like he's not speaking to us, when he's not answering the crisis of our faith right away, just know that God has your best interest in mind and the waiting is going to be worth it in the very end. And I think that's, those are words that we need to remind ourselves over and over and over again. It just breaks my heart to read of another pastor who failed and got kicked out of ministry this week and it just continues to happen because we're not trusting in God. We want to feel accepted in our culture. Well, following our doubts can create heartaches and even some catastrophic decisions in our lives. Following our doubts can create heartaches and even catastrophic decisions. That leads us to our next point, that doubting God can lead to immense consequences if we're not careful. Now, I want to say as a caveat, we're all going to face doubts. I face doubts. Through this COVID time, I've wondered, okay, God, what are we supposed to do? Where are you at in all this? What are we supposed to learn? But it's what you do with those doubts that's important. Take your Bible and turn over to Genesis 16 if you already have it open there. These are not on the screen, but read and listen as I read verses 7 through 16 as we continue the story. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall, have, shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Think about that. Hagar is sent out by Sarai, wants her to just leave, and she's, she's pregnant, and she goes, and she's weeping, and she doesn't know what to do, and she's in doubt, and God appears to her. Interesting, the words she gave, the name she gave to God, the one who sees, the one who sees me in my affliction 
in my situation, in my circumstance, in my problem. God sends her back, Hagar, to Abram and Sarai to deal with the issue and to support Sarah. And just a reminder that as a result of Sarah and Abram wanting to do God's work their way, Ishmael was born, which he's the father of the Arab nations. And of course, Isaac would be the ultimate promised one, the one of the Jews, the Israel nation. And to this very hour, because of that adulterous relationship, that tension and that conflict continues on as a consequence of Abram and Sarah's doubting and taking things into their own hands. Hey, God forgives, but sometimes the consequences will be with us the rest of our lives. And I say these things tenderly because I know people in this room have gone through these things. You know, when we end up in a divorce situation, sometimes it's not our fault, but sometimes it is. We have to live with those consequences. Someone who's gone through an abortion, a baby born before marriage, a bankruptcy, injury because of bad choices. This is where faith comes in and maturity, where you're willing to bear the burden and the consequences, but let God help you with these consequences to turn them into a blessing and a ministry to other people as well. Or you could go through those situations and become bitter. You can become angry. You can become frustrated. You can become manipulative. You can be bitter against God for a spouse who may be taken early in the marriage because of cancer or a child or whatever it is. It's an issue of what are we going to do when we face that crisis of faith. It can make you have to depend upon other people all the time as a part of the consequence. And sometimes your consequences will thwart your goals and dreams of what you thought your life would be. But God will use it and take it in a different direction. But despite the bad choices Abram and Sarah made, God would still use them. God would forgive them. God would still bring, as we'll see soon, Isaac on the scene. But remember, I need to make this point very strongly. Remember that Ishmael could not be the son of promise because the baby would have to be born to Abram and Sarah. And this is where we differ, differ from the Islam religion. The Muslims point back to Ishmael as the promised one. But no, it's Isaac who it is that God has brought to set up the nation of Israel. Our application here is making decisions when confused can lead to catastrophic consequences. Can lead to catastrophic consequences if we're not careful. Abram and Sarah, they had their time of willful mistakes and yet God never gave up on his promise to them. God comes to Abram once again. Thank God that God is the God of second chances and third chances and a hundred chances. And remember, he doesn't have to give us second chances. He isn't required by his nature to do that, but because of his mercy and his love and his grace and his compassion, he willingly provides second and hundreds and thousands of chances, allowing us to be forgiven of our mistakes. And so we can learn from those things. We can move on in faith. And so here's the key thought today. God's word never fails. That's our true north. That's our final authority for truth in our lives. And remember, stand on that anchor. Stand on that foundation. Remember that parable that Jesus said that if we build our lives on the rock when the storms come, we will not be destroyed. And that's the foundation. Malachi 3.6 
Thousands of years ago, it was said of this, for I, the Lord, do not change. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, a verse I quoted last week. Remember Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is going to be fulfilled no matter what. And you want an even greater challenge. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not the smallest punctuation point in the writing will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So life, life, we go through life, and it's like going to a classroom. And this is going to be what's on our final exam is what we did with this. Our teacher is the Holy Spirit, and God is our teacher. And as we stick to his word and realize that God's word will never fail, even in the midst of tremendous doubting in our life, that God will provide a way and bless us. Here's a very practical part as we kind of wrap this sermon up. How do we deal with doubt? Here's a few things that I think you need to think about when, you, when doubt comes your way, and it will. I can remember when I was a young Christian in high school, only been saved probably about two years. And there was a lot of, a, all of a sudden there was like revival that broke out in our Christian high school. And people were getting very emotional and people were getting saved. And some of these people were getting saved who thought they were saved when they were very young. And I began to question, was I truly saved or not? I didn't have this emotional experience. We're all going to go through these times where we wonder. But here's some things that you can look to. First of all, acknowledge that you have doubts or questions that you want answered. It's okay to admit that to God. If you don't believe me, read the book of Psalms. Doesn't David over and over say to God, hey, how come this? Or why this? Or read the book of Job as Chris talked about this morning. It's okay to ask God questions as long as they're not, you know, defiant and in his face. But you are seeking answers. It's what you do with those doubts and those questions that are important. Those questions, those doubts can be constructive and lead to spiritual growth, or they can be destructive and lead us away from the Lord. The first way to solve anything is to admit that you have an issue, and in this case is to admit that you have doubts and you're questioning things about God and his, and his world and how he works around us. Second of all, seek, God after, or seek after God in prayer, Seek after God in his word and godly counsel for help with doubts. Godly counsel. In his book, Stories for the Journey, William H. White shares the story of Hans, a European seminary professor devastated by the death of his wife, Enid. Hans was so overcome with sorrow that he lost his appetite and he refused to leave the house. Out of concern, the seminary president, along with three other seminary professors, paid Hans a visit. The grieving professor confessed that he was struggling with doubts. 
I am no longer able to pray to God, he admitted to his colleagues. In fact, I am not certain I believe in God anymore. After a moment of silence, the seminary president said, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. The four men continued to meet daily with Hans for prayer, asking God to restore the gift of faith to their friend. Some months later, as the four friends gathered for prayer with Hans, Hans looked at them and smiled and said, it's no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today, I would like you to pray with me. We have to have our faith restored, and sometimes we need to go to our brothers and sisters with our honest doubts and our questions and say, you know, help my unbelief and get the encouragement that we need. Talk to pastors, talk to spiritual mentors about your doubts. You'll find there's many, many people that have the same questions and doubts in their past and can help you find the answers that they have found. There's tremendous resources with the ability to have access to the internet to deal with your doubts and questions. Be discerning, but there are many good places to look for help. Thirdly, avoid making big decisions when you're going through a period of doubt. This is huge. You might want to star this one. Avoid making major decisions, big decisions, when you're going through a period of doubt. When you're going through trials and challenges in your life, I encourage people to wait six months to let your emotions settle, to make sure everything's in good place between you and God and others around you if you're going through a painful time. Emotions can cause us to make the most regrettable decisions. And you have to be careful with your emotions. God gave them to us, but we're not to rely on them over God's word, over his spirit. The spirit's important. That's why it's important that we stay accountable when we're in that situation and we're about to make a major decision after a very vulnerable time in our life. The times I'm speaking of, I've seen it over and over again. People who uh, get into a, vo a divorce and immediately rebound and quickly get married, not having dealt with the fallout, the reason for the divorce. And let me say that there's always two people involved in some way that leads to that divorce, and you have issues that need to be dealt with. A spouse that dies quickly, and all of a sudden, the person wants to quickly get remarried. Moving away from a job to get away from something that should be dealt with. Settling for someone to marry because you don't want to be lonely anymore. I've seen that to be a very disastrous decision in many young people's lives. Number four, avoid taking matters into your own hands. The more we rely on faith, it simplifies our life and it minimizes our trust in ourselves and our abilities alone. Taking matters into your own hands. Here's a poem that says, doubt sees the obstacles, faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers I. Faith. Faith in God. Faith in his word. And we have to learn to accept the things that we do not understand and leave them to God and his sovereignty. Oh, there were times in my young life going through seminary, I thought I could tell you everything about Calvinism and the sovereignty of God, and I thought I had all figured out. And somehow life has a way of kind of taking away some of your thoughts on theology, 
and you begin to read the word in a different way, and you think you had it all thought out and fit in a nice box, and then God uh, kicks open the doors to the box, and you've got to deal with reality. We have to understand that there's things we're never going to understand, and we're not meant to understand in this life. You know, how does predestination and free will come together? Well, that's only an answer that God can give us when we get to heaven. The only other choice is to get bitter and blame God for not answering our doubts. Oswald Chambers said this just a couple days ago in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, that I'm reading through this year. You'll see it on the screen. Are we partakers of Christ's sufferings? Are we prepared for God to stamp our personal ambitions right out? Are we prepared for God to destroy by transfiguration our individual determinations? It will not mean that we know exactly why God is taking us that way. That would make us spiritual prigs. We never realize at the time what God is putting us through. We go through it more or less misunderstandingly. Then we come to a luminous place and say, why? God has girded me, though I did not know it. It's funny when you get down the path of your spiritual journey and you look back, you can see how God led you all the way and how he had a purpose and all these things. But in the current time, when it looks like we're driving through the fog, we don't know where we're going, but we trust in him. Lastly, if you get stuck in your doubts, seek Christian counseling. And I mean this sincerely. There have been a few times in my life that I had to go and, and, and sit down with a Christian counselor and say, hey, give me perspective on this from God's perspective. Help me to see from a perspective I cannot see in my finite mind. And it's interesting when someone outside of you can understand your situation, it's amazing the counsel and the wisdom that they can give to you. And so I encourage you, if you get stuck in your doubts, seek Christian counseling, but never... Never, never turn bitter. Never take things into your own hands because of the tremendous negative consequences that can come into your life. As we close today, here's three questions to ponder this week. And I encourage you to keep these by your bedstand, to read them at night or in the morning, to think through, as we talked about what Abram went through, how it applies to you. How have your unanswered prayers, number one, or questions, caused you to take matters into your own hands. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I've done that too many times, and I don't care to count them. But how have, us, how have we taken unanswered prayers and questions into our own hands? Second of all, are you contemplating any decision that may be considered running ahead of God's best for your life right now? Right now. And let the Spirit check you. Let the Word check you. Let, let you know or give you peace about that decision? And thirdly, are you content and satisfied with God that not every answer to your questions or the removal of doubts is okay? We'll get the answers on the other side, I'm sure. We'll have an eternity to go and get these questions answered. So as we close today, I encourage you, as you deal with doubt, as you feel like your faith is waning sometimes, don't do what Abram did. Learn from his heartaches and consequences and mistakes. Let them be a life lesson for us that we go and seek the one, as Hagar said, who sees us and knows what we're facing in our current situation. Let's bow for prayer. And maybe someone's here today just before I pray and you're dealing with 
doubts or difficulties, that you've been going through trials and tribulations for a long time, whether it be health-wise or financial, and you keep praying and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you feel like throwing in the towel, you feel like giving up, it's your time to tie another knot at the end of the rope and hold on and to look into God's word and to look into God's face through prayer. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're dealing with something that's really caused you to sit back and question some things. Just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. No one's looking around? Yes. Anyone else? I'm dealing with doubt. Yes. I'm dealing with questions and I don't see the answers coming very quickly and I need to trust God more anyone else just before we pray father we come before you as someone so aptly said that you're making us into a beautiful quilt a beautiful piece of tapestry and when we look at the very back of that and all the loose ends and the knots have been tied from our perspective, we can't see the beauty of that quilt or tapestry that you're making. But the one day when we get to heaven and we get to see the other side of that quilt or tapestry that you're making, we'll see the beauty of it. Because you were the one who was, who was weaving in our lives through the circumstances, faith lessons. Lord, I pray for those that raised their hand. Lord, you know in their heart of hearts, what their struggles are, what their doubts are, what their questions that they face, unanswered prayers. And Lord, for some, it just goes on for a long time. I pray that you help them, Lord, just to be encouraged to dig into your word and to trust you even more as they wait. Because Lord, we see, we see right in front of our face here from Abram and Sarah, what can happen if we take things into our own hands. Minister to each one, help them to get uh, the counsel of others around them if they need, but help them to uh, be comforted and come to peace, Lord, to know that you are sovereign, you're in charge, and you always have our best interest in mind because you're making us into the image of your son. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.